how many times do we open up our mouths and we say things? And in the midst of us saying things, like we think we're saying the right thing, we think that we think that we're moving in the direction that's best for the moment. Like we, we take intellectual things, we take intellectual thoughts and processes and we and we and we really apply a lot of principles, we, we apply a lot of logic, and then we just have these words that come out of our mouth, and we think that those words are the kind of words that are actually going to make the outcome that, that we really wanted. And how many times before you were born again, or even now after you're saved, have you, have you really seriously thought about the words that come out of your mouth, why they come out of your mouth, what they're saying, and what it's produced versus what you wanted them to produce? Like how many times do you say something and in your heart you're like, I'm going to say this and this is going to come out because of this, 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 and this. And then the outcome of it is completely different than what you planned on it. And you're sitting there trying to figure out exactly like, well, well, how did that happen and how did I get here? Because everything you say and everything that you do has to be guided by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to lead you into all truths. And the Holy Spirit's not always going to lead you in the place where you want to go. So you can change your wording. You can change the way you present yourself. You can change your clothes. You can cut your hair. But if you don't go where the Holy Spirit's telling you to go, no matter how bad or how uncomfortable that might look, you're going to be much more uncomfortable than how uncomfortable it actually looked in the beginning because oftentimes what ends up taking place is when you've thought things out in order to make something happen, you've projected a word or you've said something in hopes that it was going to be this kind of an outcome, and God's over here saying, yes, but if you would have spoken this, you wouldn't be as bad as you were, but you were looking at it going, well, wait a minute. No, if I say that, this is what's going to end up happening. And, and the way that you're viewing a situation and the way that God's viewing a situation is completely opposite. Those are called strongholds. A stronghold, a stronghold is a place that has been fortified so as to protect it against attack. A stronghold, I'm going to say it again, is a place that has been fortified so to protect it against an attack. Or in other words, it's something, someone, thought process, environment, community, thing, stuff that has been placed in a position to where you can defend it no matter what comes up against it. It's in a stronghold. It's in a position where it is protected for better or for worse. <laughs> Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 through 8, and I'll read it. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 1 through 8 says, Now I, Paul, who am lowly in presence among you, but bold towards you while I am absent, appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. He said, I beg you that when I am present, I might not have to be bold with you with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us who think of us as if we walk the same way that they do, according to the flesh. What's the problem? The problem is, is inside of the church, Paul is saying that there's people that are thinking the wrong way, and they're viewing the individuals who are trying to help them the exact same way that they think. Thinking that those individuals are trying to get them to stay stuck in the, same mat, in the same pattern they're already in. And the reality of it is, is that Paul is thinking completely opposite and totally different than the way that they're thinking. Like, 
He's not thinking the way that they're thinking. And the reason why they have an attitude problem with him is because they're not thinking his way. They're not thinking according to the Spirit. They're, 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 just, they're just thinking out of the way they've always thought. And they've added Jesus to the process. I can do this in Jesus' name. You just add Jesus' name to the end of it. Everything must be cool. So Paul says this, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, in other words, hey, I acknowledge that we're living in the same world. I, I realize that I see the same problems. I see the same situations. I see the same attitudes. I see the same people you do. I am conversing with you and the same people that you're hanging out with. Look, I get it. We live in the world. For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. In other words, yes, we're both living in the same environment, but you think I'm not even paying attention. You think I don't get it. You, you actually think that I just ignore these things when in reality, I'm so far above them in my mind and in my process, you're still so far down in here in the way that the world operates that you're never going to rise above these circumstances because you're too busy looking at those things. Why, do, why am I even bothering with any of this? Because how do you think a man goes into a demon-possessed environment which has the temple of Artemis, the seventh wonder of the world, and absolutely causes a riot and yet goes to where the riot is and has to be tried people had to try to talk him out of going into that area to continue talking to the people whom he brought into a riot because he's not looking at the riot guys he's he's so far above he's so far above what he's seeing why because that's where christ lives why because that's where paul is seated that's where we're all seated Watch what he says, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war. We don't overcome. We're not victorious because of our flesh and our great thinking. For the weapons of our warfare, how we survive, how we get through, how we overcome, how we go through every one of the same situations that you have in your life. How do I go through them and I'm fine and you go through them and you're a mess? For the weapon of our warfare are not carnal. You're not figuring this out by rearranging the things around you. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Paul's not trying to get through the stronghold. Paul's not trying to get through the stronghold. He's not trying to get through the situation. He's actually saying, I actually don't even acknowledge it because I see it as defeated. It has no rights or authority. I've literally, in my mind, pulled it down. It has no voice to rise up and overcome what is already bigger in my mind than the situation. Watch this. I'll prove it to you. For the weapon of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds where, verse 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against and above the knowledge of God. What's he saying? Your thought life, your thought life, where you position God, how you see God, how you see the Father, Literally, your, your encounters with him in your prayer time and in the word of God, the, the, the way and the place that you position God is going to determine where you position everything else. Where you position God in your mind will determine where you position everything else. If you position your circumstances and your situations as the priority in your life, then you're always going to have to put God second and say, I got to figure this out and eventually I'll click, click, bring God into this later on or I'll find some time for God or, or yeah, I believe that I'm an overcomer and praise the Lord and hallelujah, but this is what's happening in my life right now, Paul, and you don't understand what I'm going through. And he's saying, you're talking to me as if I think of things according to the flesh and I don't, I'm looking at it from God's perspective, which is this is nothing in his eyes. 
And when I see that in my own circumstances and in my own situations, then I can go into everybody else's situation and show them how silly it is to be overcome by these things. If you're born again. Why? Casting down imaginations. What? Imaginations. Things that aren't even real. Not even real. They're not even realities. They haven't even played out in your life yet. And you're like, well, what about that? Well, what about that? Well, what about that? Well, what about that? Imaginations. False realities. Which you've created in an image that is not the image of God. And you've given it power and authority and might and dominion, which belongs to God alone. And you've actually caused your situation to become an idol. You bowed down and idolized your situation. Think about it. Like, process your thoughts. Watch this. Casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. It's crazy to me that he calls it a high thing. He's not ignoring the fact that it is something that's in a reality and it is something that has the ability to overcome you, but it depends on what you position higher than the high thing. It depends on the thing that you place as the highest of the high. Because he calls it a high thing. Every high thing that exalts itself. In other words, it intent, the imagination intentionally tries to make itself bigger than God in your mind and in your thoughts so that it can overtake you, so that it can overpower what you know to be true about the Lord, so that you give that thing the honor and the power and the glory instead of God because it knows that if the enemy, he knows, the, the demonic realm knows if they can get you to worship your situation, that you're not worshiping God, and when you're not worshiping God, you're not winning. If Paul would have saw the riot in Acts chapter 19 and said, this is too much, I am out, look, they're just not listening, I get it. It was a pretty big sight. you got to think about this. The, the, the theater still stands today. You can go on Google and look up Ephesus Theater. You can look at a picture of the theater in Ephesus. It was massive. Today, because of population, the population of what would have been in the theater is just about the population of what would be in a packed football stadium. And you're going to walk in there and try to calm that down? You go into a football stadium in the middle of somebody's favorite game while all the players are running around. You stand in the middle of the 50-yard 50, 50 line and you sit there and try to tell everybody to calm down and do something and chill out and start thinking something different other than the football game and the fact that you just interrupted the thing that they were worshiping and you see what that reality looks like. That's what Paul was de dealing with. That was a high thing. It wasn't even an imagination to him. It was a reality. And he goes, so what? His friends are telling him, he's nuts, don't go in there, he's crazy. Paul, look, dude, stop, no, listen, calm down, it's not a good idea, chill out. He's like, what are you, what's your problem? What are you exalting? What are you thinking of? Watch this. Casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity into the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is complete. <laughs> Enoch's having fun. <laughs> Little guy, he's cool. I'd be doing that too if I was his age. That's kind of fun. <laughs> Flinging the little thing. So check this out. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You say, I'm trying to be a good Christian. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm reading the Bible. It tells me to do this, 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 and this. And I'm trying to be obedient to Christ. That's not what he's talking about in this context. Bringing every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. What does that mean? It means that your mind aligns with who he is 
what he has authority over, what you have authority over, what he gave you, the power that you have, the Holy Spirit inside of you, and every single thing that he gave you in Christ Jesus. He says, you bring that thing into alignment with what Jesus says. You take it, you see it, you don't ignore it, you don't act like it's not a reality, but you see it as a low thing and you say, absolutely, I don't know what you think you're doing here, but... Jesus is here now and everything in front of me has to come into alignment with Christ. And you say to me, you say, John, I don't see that. I think that. I believe that. I feel that. Well, good. Keep going until you see that whole thing come about. Don't stop because you see a wall. Don't stop because you see a high thing. The high things will always be high. You'll have to look up to see them. But you're not supposed to be walking by your sight. You're supposed to be walking by faith. I just feel like God's like just done. Like he's just like not done in the sense like he's done with the church or done with people. I just see like God's already done. He gave us his word and his word is done. I see a done deal. I don't see it if maybe but. I don't see well maybe it's his will or it's not. What I see is God saying no. Every high thing that exalts itself above the realities of what I have spoken. You have to believe regardless of what you see, you feel, you hear, you experience. Every other thing, every other friend, every other pastor, every other church, every other this, every other, everything else is irrelevant if it's not in alignment with the word of God. And if it's not aligned with the word of God, I put you there to make it in alignment with the word of God. And that's why I sent Paul to Ephesus. I don't know how many people God can send to Ephesus today. Because you talk about Islam, and the church is ridiculously scared. I got a guy that I know, uh, I won't say from where, but Christian guy, having a conversation about the Middle East. And we were talking about some friends of ours that that are out there, that have gone out there in different ministries and stuff. Like, oh, no, I'm not going to, oh, okay, oh my goodness, oh, uh, And it was instant struck with instant fear. Christian. Struck with fear. Paralyzed. Couldn't even continue the conversation in the middle of an air-conditioned environment. Everything's fine. No ISIS militants around him. No guns to his head. Just two Christian guys having a general conversation about missions. And just struck with fear like that. That is not the way we're called to live. I'll put it a different way. You will not live that way. You won't live that way. Sure, you'll breathe. Sure, you'll go through every day. Sure, you'll you'll get up in the morning for a while till you start having panic attacks and freaking out and having anxiety and every other thing that follows from fear. Paul's, Paul's, not, Paul's not having that conversation anymore. Paul's a man who's made up, made up his mind after three missionary journeys. You know, he went to Corinth right before all of this. It's 2 Corinthians. It's the second letter he wrote to him. So at this point, he's pretty sure of what we have and what we can do. After this is when he goes to Ephesus. After he writes this is when he goes... He's like, I've I've figured this thing. I got it. Last week when we were talking, we were talking about him having a revelation of Jesus. The fact that he had an experience with Jesus is what drove him to go to the lost. But it was his experience with Jesus that eventually gave him everything he needed so that he could overcome and win the lost. If you're not winning your own personal battles, you're not going to be able to win the battles that are out there destined for you. The Israelites wandered in the desert and died because of unbelief, and they lived in a supernatural environment where they saw the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire. They watched the sea part. They watched manna come down from heaven. They watched water from a rock. They, they saw the quail come. They, they watched Aaron's staff bud. They, they saw the face of Moses 
in all its glory and it would die down. They saw the thunder and all the clouds and all the lightning on the mountain twice because they broke the commandments the first time and Moses had to go back up. They had a leader who fasted and prayed for 40 days and 40 nights. They had somebody that was leading the march and yet they still disobeyed and had no belief for God. doesn't make sense to me. You have to determine whether you believe God or you believe what you see. Period. Because you'll just run in fear for the rest of your life. For every situation. I don't care what it is. Whatever it is. It doesn't matter. No matter how high you can build that imagination. The worst thing on your mind right now that you're going through or that you are fear in fear of, that highest thing is in the lowest part of your foot. It's under you. It's not who you are. It's not yours. The only thing it's been given to you for is to prove to the enemy that you're victorious and he's a loser. Because God tests people. He doesn't tempt people, but he tests people. The Holy Spirit is the one that led Jesus into the wilderness, into the desert. The devil's the one that did the tempting. But the Holy Spirit brought Jesus into the wilderness because he knew that Jesus could be trusted to show the enemy that he lost. That is what you get to do with your life. But every single time you idolize your situation, every single time Ephesus becomes too big, every single time the riots seem like they're just shouting too loud, these people were shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And Paul's like, no, really, great is Jesus. No, great is Artemis. I mean, they're like just going nuts, dude. And you're going, there's no, and you're, we're, we're thinking in our American minds, no way that we can get these people, no way we can get them away from the football and the TV screen, no way we can get them away from their obsession with the sports, no way can we get them away from, you know, all these things and, and, and just saturated in all the movies and the junk and the porn, no way we can get them out of all that. And God's going, yeah, no way, as long as you're the one that I'm sending. No way, as long as you're the one I'm sending. Because Nineveh didn't repent until Jonah went and did what he was told to do. But we don't know what would have happened to Nineveh if Jonah never went. And what was Jonah's situation? It went from bad to worse. God's like, hey, I called you to do something. I put my words in your mouth. I gave you a completed Bible. More than the Acts chapter 2 church had. You've got a completed Bible. And you don't even read it. You don't even know what, you don't even know what it says. Because all of the other voices have become so loud to you. The shouting of the Ephesians has become so loud to you. The seeing of the witchcraft over there and the fact that those demons just beat up those Jewish priests who are the sons of a high priest. We ain't never seen anything like that before. That was a high priest. His kids, his, their dad went into the Holy of Holies. He was a high priest. Their kids should have had some type of an impartation or, or a mantle, or something that was passed down to them, right? They had the gifts, right? God, Father passed down the blessing. They should have been able to cast those demons right on out. But they saw that take place in Ephesus. Paul goes, you're talking to me as though I'm in the flesh. You're, you're looking at me as if I'm looking at you the way you're looking at me and I'm not. 
You're looking at me a specific way. You have thoughts about me that are complete lies. Totally untrue. And you're clinging on to them. And you're talking trash about me behind my back. And when you're not speaking about me with your words, you're thinking it in your mind. And you're rationalizing why you don't have to listen to what I'm saying. You're trying to come to conclusions that say, I don't have to listen, that's not correct, that's not true, he doesn't understand, blah, blah, blah. And you're doing all that to justify staying in your situation. And that whole problem is that you're always going to be in that problem as long as you keep thinking the same way you've always thought. And the reason why you got in that situation in the first place is because you were thinking that way in the beginning. And now you're thinking that way in the middle of it. You think you're going to come out of it by thinking that same way. And he's saying, you guys are silly because you're, you're looking at me as though I'm in the flesh. And I'm over here going, I'm free. like you to join me. All you got to do is cast down that imagination, that high thing that's exalted itself above the knowledge of who God is. I'm trying to tell you who God is. You're not exalting the information I'm giving you above your circumstances and your situations. And as long as you don't exalt what I'm telling you above what you see, you're always going to be below where you are. Because you're not going to go from glory to glory. You're going to go from sad story to sad story. And it's always going to be pray for me. I'm going through a tough time right now, brother. Praise God, Jesus is an anchor in the storm. You're not supposed to put your anchor down in a storm. That's a bad move. You want to get away from the storm. Why am I, what? God, I don't know what you're saying. God, I, I just... Look, this is not, this is not where my, this is not, like. Let's talk about the temple in in Ephesus, in Acts 19. This is something I wrote down a long time ago. And the temple of Artemis. The temple was a stronghold for the people's minds. The power of the temple was visual, economical, and had the community in a specific mindset. So watch this. The power of the visual, the economic stability it brought, the constant sales of idols in the community, and the reenactments within the theater would continually reinforce the perpetual belief in a false deity. What does that mean? It means that the purpose of setting up a temple, the purpose of having a temple, is so that you will visually see something. The purpose of the temple in Israel, in Jerusalem, was very clear. The whole purpose was so that it would, God would be glorified throughout the earth. The queen of Sheba, queen from the south, the queen came all the way up and she was overwhelmed by what she saw. Think about this for a minute. When she saw the temple that Solomon built and his palaces and his gold and all of his treasuries, she was overwhelmed and decided to give him all of these gifts and praised the God of Solomon. What does that mean? It doesn't say that Solomon shared theology with her. It says that Solomon answered all of her questions and showed her everything. And it overwhelmed her. In the Hebrew, it it actually says it took her breath away. What does that mean? Took her breath away. What does that mean? It means that the whole purpose of the visual is to get you into an emotional state so that you'll agree with the reality of something. The purpose of of an impact of a visual reality is so that you will have an emotional response that will allow your spirit to make it a reality above anything else. So if the enemy has you looking at a situation in a way that it looks like a reality, even though it's an imagination, it'll give you 
an emotional reaction that causes you to believe that that's a reality. And because of that, you'll be paralyzed like the queen was. Now, she was paralyzed in a way where it pushed her towards the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the demonic realm knows this. They understand that. How can I promise you this? How can I make that statement? Because Satan said to Jesus, I'll give you all of this if you'll bow down and worship me. What did he do? He gave him something to see. Look at this, Jesus. Have an emotional response to this, Jesus, so that you'll do something that's completely opposite of what God says. That's his tactics. To get you to feel and believe something that is not a reality so that you will respond to that instead of responding to God and His Word. And until you align yourself with what God actually has to say, and until you align yourself with what God's Word says, your reality will always be that thing because you believe that that's reality. You'll never go to another place and realize you can live from somewhere else which is above all of that, which is a place of freedom, where I don't have to care about any of that stuff. Not that I don't actually have a response in the sense where I say, wow, there's a problem there. But I say, wow, there's a problem there, and then I say, but... I have the problem solver and he's already thought about this from the foundation of the world. He already caused Jesus. He already had a plan. Like, from the foundation of the world, Jesus was crucified. What does that mean? God doesn't dismiss the situation and say, sin never happened. He actually already knew that that was going to happen and already had an answer to the situation. But if we don't know Jesus, and we don't know there's an answer to the situation, then we live according to the way the world continues to live, and that becomes our reality. But when Jesus comes into the situation, and we bring Jesus in, and we become a brand new creation, all of a sudden the way we view sin is completely different than the way we viewed it before. Take that theology, take that thought process and apply it to everything else in your life because if God gave you an answer in Jesus, Jesus has the answer for every other situation in your life. And if God thought about your sin before you even were born, then he's obviously already thought about the problem that you're walking through right now and he's already got an answer for it. Paul knew that. Paul understood that. Do you understand that? That's the question. Do you understand? Because, guys, if you don't get this, forget it. It'll be five, ten years from now, you'll be going through the same junk. You'll be asking for the same prayers. You'll be going to church after church after church because you're hurt and you're bothered and you're offended by what everybody's telling you because none of it's working because you haven't applied the very principles you've already been taught. And if you add anything to what I'm already telling you now without applying what what this says, then all you're doing is heaping up information and knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Love is what makes you who you were destined to be. Love humbles itself and says, oh my goodness, that's what the word of God says. Love says this. God said that through John, but John's not the one saying it's the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to listen to the Holy Spirit and just put John aside for a minute. Not that God's not using me and not that I'm not valuable and not that he's not speaking through men and women. He absolutely does. But you can't look at my face and say, I'm not agreeing with John. Because if you don't agree with what I'm saying right now, and you can pinpoint different areas where you might have a little discrepancies. But if you don't agree with what was clearly written in the word of God right now and what I'm communicating to you, you're disagreeing and arguing with God, not me. I'm not your problem. You're your problem. You're your enemy. You're the one stopping yourself from moving past all of the fears, all of the things that you keep exalting higher than God. If you don't get a revelation of the reality of how big God is and how much He loves you and how much He has an answer already for every situation and He's just waiting for you to come into the secret place, close the door and say, Father, I know that you have an answer and I thank you for this. 
What do I do? What am I looking at wrong? What am I seeing in a weird way? How come I'm like this? How come I'm always paralyzed and freaking out about stuff all the time? What do I do here? How do I shift? Holy Spirit, what is, what is it that, that you've already spoken in your word that I can grab a hold on, connect my faith with so grace can come, breathe all over that thing, and let the reality around me change and come to a place of peace that passes all understanding because you're the Prince of Peace and I have you and I am not at peace right now. That's it. Now look, to be completely fair and honest, I have to go back and read this from time to time. I have to go back and look at this. I have to readjust. I have to make sure I keep shifting and staying in that path, staying in that place. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Because it's not like, hey, sometimes things come along and you're just they sideswipe you. Things can sideswipe you. But the difference is, is that you recognize the reality of what it looks like to walk in a position where you've been sideswiped versus walking in the position of when you're not sideswiped and recognize, wait a minute, I am not on the path right now. I can tell by the way this is happening and this is manifesting and this is the way I'm feeling and this is the emotion happening and all of a sudden all these things start to come on you and you're like, this is just not the way I typically live. If you don't know the difference between those two realities, you're not going to check yourself. You're just going to think it's life. It's ups and downs. It's hills and valleys. Well, brother, I'm just going through a valley right now. You know, I'm just, you know, you know, you know, you have your higher mountain types and then you have your valley. No, he has leveled everything. He says, make a straight path for the Lord to follow. Not an up and down path. Not a wishy-washy path. Make a straight path for the Lord to follow. That's why the cross is foolishness to some. The cross is foolishness. That's why the message of the gospel is foolishness to so many. Because the world looks at us as though we're living the way they do. And they're saying, you just deny reality. You live in denial. All you Christians, you just live in denial. No. It's not, we don't live in denial. We don't say that those things aren't real. I was listening to a series from Rabbi Schneider on overcoming fear. Be courageous and fear not. And he was reading from the Psalms, Psalm 91. And it said, and, and, you know, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It talks about 10,000 falling on your right. It talks about all these things happening around you. And he said, he said, look at the passage. He said, it actually says, it actually says that there's going to be things that happen around you. There's literally 10,000 falling around you. He's not denying the reality. They bend the bow. It talks about bending the bow. They, they, they go to strike you. I mean, he's, he's literally talking about the realities. Watch this. Psalm 91, verse 2. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. A fortress is a stronghold. So is God against every stronghold? No. He's exempt. Yes, but. He is our shield. God is my refuge and my fortress. He is my stronghold. He literally becomes the stronghold in your life. He is my stronghold. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the hunter and from the deadly pestilence. What's He saying? Yeah, it's flu season, but it ain't going to touch you. Yeah, all you people are freaking out. Yeah, 30 people died and... and all, 
Yeah, these are realities, guys. But they mocked, I don't even remember the woman, you guys probably know, uh, one of the president's spiritual advisors, she came out and said that we need to have faith that God will protect us from the flu, and the media went nuts like a week or two ago, and and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, Isaiah 53, by his stripes I, I am healed. Yeah, look. Psalm 91, verse 3. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the hunter. There's a snare. It's there. We're not denying the reality that it's there. But he'll deliver me. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall find protection. His faithfulness shall be your shield and your wall. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night. There's terror at night. He's talking about terror that's coming upon you. You won't be afraid of the terror coming upon you. Look, it's a real emotion. But stop it. Stop it. He already knows. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that pursues in the darkness, nor of the destruction that strikes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your right, and ten thousand, or excuse me, a a thousand may fall on your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you behold and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. There shall be no evil fall upon you. Neither shall any plague come near your tent. Pretty explicit. There's realities. A thousand here, ten thousand there. Plagues, pestilence, all the stuff from the book of Revelation. You think Pharaoh, like, you think the Israelites didn't see what was happening to Egypt? It didn't touch them, but they knew, and they saw, and they understood. And they didn't have a revelation of God. They only knew what they were told. They knew that Moses and Aaron had something going on with the Lord and they were going to get delivered for some reason. And they're like, yeah, we heard something about Joshua. We know something about this Yahweh God. Something about I am. And I, I, you know, look, Moses, he's seen some visions and stuff. You remember when he killed that guy? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, Moses is a pretty rough dude, guys. You might just want to listen to him. And they're just kind of going along with the plan because they don't, they don't really know what's going on. And then all of a sudden all these bombs and, and pestilence and all this stuff starts taking place. And they're like, hey man, something's happening in Egypt right now. And they've got to make a choice whether or not they, they're going to believe that God's going to protect them and take them out of that. Or whether or not they're a part of the judgment and this is just some kind of weird natural thing. Who knows what's going on? The difference between what you believe about God being God and being who he is and the way that the world sees situations is, is total night and day. But you, you have to come to a place where you say, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. He is my refuge. He is my fortress. He is my stronghold. He is an ever-help, an ever-present help in times of trouble. I'm not saying there isn't trouble, but he's the help. The Holy Spirit is the helper. I think you guys are getting what I'm saying. Again, I have to keep my life adjusted with this too. It's the Word of God. This doesn't change. This can change. This can change. Actions can change. People can change. This never changes. So you have to decide whether you're going to trust the ever-changing environment or the one who never changes. That's what will lead you into victory. That's what will lead you into Ephesus. That's what will take you into a place where it doesn't matter what they're screaming and yelling. It doesn't matter if ISIS bombs are going off. It doesn't matter if, if they're cutting heads off. It doesn't matter if they're crucifying people. It, it, it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Because Jesus said all that would happen anyway. So, surprise. There's nothing to be shocked about. And there's, and there's, and there's nothing to fear. 
If anything, we can run towards it. That's how you change cities. That's how you change nations. That's how you transform things. You bring the kingdom of God into the situation and you hold your ground. Regardless of the riot, you hold your ground. Regardless of the demonic manifestations beating up the priests, you hold your ground. You hold your ground. Regardless of people rising up and saying, but this is going to affect the economy if you guys do that. And it's going to affect your finances and it's going to affect your home. Well, so what? Who's the one that provides all of that? God. Satan's not the only one telling people that, here, here's everything you need if you worship me. God's saying, yeah, you worship me, don't worry. Everything you need will be added unto you. He's not like dangling it in front of our face and then saying, oh, you're going through a hard time right now? Let me just pull that out in front of you. Let's see if you still trust me now. We're not Job. We're not under Job's covenant. Job is not my example. I'm not following Job. And Job was under fear anyways. So. I'm following Jesus. Jesus is my example. Jesus was tested in every way and yet without sin. Job sinned once and Jesus Job sinned different times and Jesus sinned how many times? None. I think your name your number is different. Thank you very much for letting me straight back. But Job never let anybody tell him to doubt God and his love for him. And Job also said in Job 120-22 said that Job did not sin by blaming God. One of the best scriptures in the book of Job other than the end of the book of Job when he gets all the stuff back is in the very first chapter when, Job, when it says and Job did not sin by blaming God for doing evil. Job, Job never Blame God. Everybody else said God was doing it to him. But Job didn't. No, he slay me yet while I serve him. You guys understand what I'm saying? Like, do you guys get what I'm saying? Like, I'm not just giving you like a motivational pep talk and a speech. Like, I'm not just giving you um, this isn't a message. This isn't a sermon. This is your life. This is your life. Use it wisely. You have a million dollars in the bank. Don't live broke. You've got every, it says, every promise of God is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. You find the promise of God for your situation. You say, God, you said yes to this. You said I'd have this and this. You'd give me wisdom and understanding. You, you know, you, 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 find, you find what God says about you and your situation. And you start saying, God, I thank you for such and such, yada, yada, yada. I thank you for wisdom, for this, 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 this. God, I thank you that you told me, you know, Eric and I with Samantha. God, I thank you. You told me to train up a child in the way that they should go. And when they're older, they won't depart for it. That means that you've given me everything I need to train them because you told me to do that. You told me to train them up in the way they should go. So you're not going to tell me to do something that you're not going to give me the ability to do. So thanks for giving me what I need. That's good stuff. Or, you can look at me, you can hear my words, and you can say, that's just not how life works, John, sorry. That's just not the reality of my situation. And you can walk away, and you can go spin out for however long you need to spin out until this thing gets deep-seated years down the road. This isn't like a, I can choose to not I can choose to ignore this and everything's going to be fine. It's not like that. This is life. 
This is real life. It's the only way things will work or not work. There is no other option. There's no third option here. It's not like you can go, yeah, it was really good, but, you know, I'm going to figure out another way. There is no other way. It's the Word of God. It's the most amazing, the most precious, the most wonderful, absolutely ridiculously saturated with the anointing oil of every single possible thing you could ever need. It is the most blessed, most spirit-filled, most dynamic, most wonderful, most beautiful. It has the best, most ridiculously awesome, fragrant aroma on it. It has the taste and the touch of God. It, it has... It has everything you need. It has the corner of the prayer shawl. It has the shofar blast. It has every single spiritual gift. It has every single possible thing you need for life and godliness. It has the very words of Jesus. It has the written words of God in it. It has every single story about the amazing thing that God wants to do for the people that he loves. It has everything in here that you need to live in a way that he called you to live and says is available to you. And all you have to do is pick it up and look at it like you look at a cake. And look at it like you look at your favorite meal and then decide in your heart that this is the most delicious thing you've ever had in your life and then pick it up over and over and over again and realize every time you taste it, it's brand new. That's the Word of God. I love the Holy Spirit. I think He's amazing. I love the gifts of the Spirit. I think they're incredible. But there is nothing... Like God speaking to his people in the same voice. He's always spoken it. And getting that down so that when the other stuff comes, you realize it's special. It's just for you. And because you've taken time with me here, I know that I can take time with you anywhere you go. I'm getting back to a place where in the beginning I was listening and reading to the Bible, reading the Bible. I was working a job where when I first got saved, I could listen to the Bible or read or both combined for eight to ten hours a day, every day. My first year I went through the whole Bible on my own. And I'm getting back to a place where I'm like, oh yeah, oh look at that, oh my goodness. And I'm just like, I'm so excited for this fast because this is my food. This, this, this book is my food. It's the bread which came down from heaven. Jesus is the word made flesh. Reverse it around. Jesus' flesh is the word. When I listen to him, I listen to this. When I listen to this, I'm listening to him. And will not rivers of living water flow out of our bodies instead of ponds collecting mosquitoes? All right. It's not just us. When we're able to do this, most of the time, people see it and they want that. We don't, we don't even have to say a word sometimes. We look at the way we're living and we say, hmm, that sounds good to me. Father, give us the courage. Father, give us the courage. Give us the chutzpah. God, I, I don't even know what else to do. Lord, I, 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 all I know is that I can give your word. All I know is I can tell the truth. All I know is I can say everything that you've told me, but I can't force anybody to come into alignment with this, God. And I'm just really at a point in my life, Lord, where I've spoken so many things and I've said so much. And I just want to see people's lives transformed. And I just want to see them grab a hold of these things. Not because I need affirmation. Not because I need to be affirmed that this stuff is real. I know that your word is real, God. But you need to make it real to everybody in this room. 
God, you have to make it to a place where it's so deep-seated in their heart that it cannot be covered up with any amount of callousness. Holy Spirit, you have to. You have to come. You have to change things. You, you, you delight in coming and making things come into alignment with the kingdom. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, change situations and change hearts. Transform hearts and minds right now, Father. I declare in Jesus' name from this day forward, you will think differently. You will speak differently. You'll drop your condemnation and your judgments. You'll stop seeing the world in the same way you've always seen it and you'll cling on to the things of God and you're going to have a change in the way that you see When Paul had an encounter with Jesus, Father, when Paul had an encounter with Jesus, he no longer saw. He couldn't see anymore. And when he got his sight back, he no longer saw anymore. Even though he could see with his natural eyes, he never saw the same way he used to see. He saw the world one way before, but after the encounter and after his eyes were opened, he saw the world in a completely different way. God, release a different way. Holy Spirit, release a different vision, a different view of the world over everybody here in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, would you come and just speak now? Father, I thank you even so now, Father. I thank you for dreams and visions, God, for everybody here. God, even as they sleep, you'll visit them. God, I thank you for angels. I thank you for divine visitations, Father. God, just like Mary, and they would say, let it be done according to your word. God, I thank you for transformation in homes, in cities, in hearts and in minds. God, I thank you, Father, that today everything changes. That your kingdom come and your will be done inside of us and on earth as it is in heaven. Holy Spirit, come and consume these temples, consume the sacrifice. God, we lay our bodies before you as a living sacrifice. I command fear to leave in Jesus' name, and freedom to come, and an entrance way, and an invitation into the holy place, and then behind the veil into the holy of holies. Father, we thank you for your word, and we honor you, and we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning into the broadcast today. Hey, I wanted to just connect with you, share with you some other ways that you can be encouraged in your faith in Christ Jesus through Fruit of the Vine Ministries. You can visit our website at fruitofthevineministries.wix.com forward slash fruit of the vine. We have our statement of faith on there. There's a lot of encouraging books, literature, things that you can get your hands on. There's, there's some good meat in there for you to be continually encouraged in. You can also contact us by sending us an email through Fruit of the Vine Ministries at gmail.com, right here in the form on the website. Also, you can connect with us on Facebook at Fruit of the Vine Ministries Ohio. So if you go on Facebook, it's Fruit of the Vine Ministries Ohio. You'll find the Fruit of the Vine Ministries logo. And from there, just like the page and you'll get encouraging scriptures. You'll get encouraging memes, things that you can share with your friends to say, hey, listen, I follow Yeshua Jesus. I want to give you another opportunity that some people take to take advantage of. Our P.O. Box, you can write us a letter. You can let us know how you've been encouraged and strengthened in your face. And if you feel led by the Holy Spirit, you can also send a check and you can help us and support financially what Father is doing here. It's P.O. Box 222, Louisville, Ohio, 44641. And you can make that out to John Davison. There's also a link to, to give on our uh, website as well. Another way that you can listen and tune in is through our radio broadcasts. Every Sunday morning on local Christian radio at 10.30 a.m. on 90.1 WJEE and 90.9 WJDD Faith Ministry Radio. And you can connect with us each week there, listen to new encouraging messages. And then also our podcasts are available as well through podbean.com 
Go to Fruit of the Vine Ministries on podbead.com. Just click the subscribe and follow, and you can follow some of the latest podcasts. Sometimes they're long, sometimes they're short, sometimes they're just very short, encouraging messages. And I just wanted to give you an outlet so that you can, hey, listen, if God moves on you and you want more, if you want more of Jesus, we want to give you every ounce of grace that God has given to us. Jesus said, freely you have received, freely given. We want to encourage the church to walk in power, strength, holiness, righteousness, completely covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, walking as normal Christians in the supernatural and seeing friends, neighbors, loved ones, co-workers coming to faith, salvation knowledge in Yeshua HaMashiach. So thank you very much for spending your time with us today. And God bless you in Jesus' mighty name. Shalom.